Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about a dozen years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, Rob Fortress Fortney here. I'm back. Woo! Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, uh, anyway, yeah, I used to work at Muscle Mag and used to do some flexing on stage. Uh, used to do some <laughs> lifting on stage, too, but lately I've just been lifting in the gym. But hey, whatever. Right. How you, Phil? Hey, and this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach, powerlifter, highly games athlete, and thoroughly excited. There's a new buffet opened up in town. Ooh. So I'm going to go visit that. And the Iron Radio Shaker Cups are in the process of being made. So I'm hoping they'll ship before Christmas. That is sweet. Do you have some, like, elves making those? Yep. Canadian elves. They're cheaper. Are they, mus- are they muscular, at least, elves? Well, they're stainless steel cups, so they have to be. Oh, good. That's right. He's got his elves on performance-enhancing drugs. Oh, <laughs> hey, everybody, we've got a little bit of science news here. Uh, and then, Rob, I think, did you want to mention some industry news maybe, too? I have a little, too. Okay. Yeah, yeah of so, course, yeah. Uh, let me start with this, and then we'll switch gears. Strength and Muscle Sport News. I just got this today from uh, Mike Nelson, who listeners know is a friend of Iron Radio. This is from the Public Library of Science, and this is loosely related to our topic of the day after the break, which is uh, disordered eating, uh, especially with physique competitors. But this is about regaining lost uh, muscle tissue. Now, this is from bed rest, so it's not about abusive dieting or anything like that, but it's a brand new study. It's French. It's from um, a researcher, uh, Savary and colleagues. It's called Dietary Supplementation with Leucine and Antioxidants is capable of accelerating muscle mass recovery after immobilization. Uh, this is in rats. So it's uh, a rat study. It was sponsored by Nestle. They've already got a patent for it, as I can understand it. But here's the interesting part. What they did was they put uh, rats in a little cast. You know, they'll do all kinds of things to rats. They'll they'll suspend their little back legs and make, they da- make them dangle so they can't get any resistance on them. Sometimes they put them in casts. But the point is they did this for a period of eight days, and they lost muscle mass, you know, in their little gastrocnemius. Um, the protein content was reduced by 37%, in fact. And that's remarkable to me over eight days. I'm not sure exactly how that happens. but So massive loss of protein content in their little calf muscles. Um, and then they put them on one of three different diets over the next up to 40 days, an antioxidant and polyphenol diet, uh, an antioxidant with the polyphenols and leucine mixed in, or just leucine, and they just wanted to see if they bounced back any better because muscle atrophy is partly like a, you know, free radical reactive oxygen species process. There's inflammation involved in that sort of thing, and hence the antioxidants, I guess. But it says muscle mass recovery was accelerated by the antioxidant and leucine supplemented uh, diet. Uh, 6% more muscle mass recovery over the experimental period. 
compared to control. And it says, and this was due to a higher protein synthesis in both the fed and fasted states. So a 23 to 31% greater protein synthesis. So my mind starts automatically, you know, the gears are turning, like, what are all the ways that you can do this? You know, if you're, whether you're injured and you're bouncing back, or maybe you're coming back from a diet where you've lost some muscle mass or whatever it might be, uh, this seems to be a, a new approach. Feed leucine and antioxidants, and then you, you'll get the significant improvements in muscle mass rebound and protein synthesis. So uh, November 29th, 2013, so hot off the press, PLOS1, Public Library Science 1. Uh, anyway, so that's the science news that I've gotten. Uh, Rob, what did you have? Well, um, have you guys discussed the COVAX situation? I did not. No, I don't think Phil and I mentioned COVAX. Yeah, um, unfortunately for those out there who are aware of bodybuilding and you know how it existed maybe several years ago or I guess perhaps a dozen years ago, um, the Canadian pro bodybuilder Greg Kovacs uh, passed away last week. Um, he was always a C-level pro at best. Um, <laughs> C-level. That's harsh. <laughs> verging towards D. Yeah. But he was also known predominantly just for his monstrous size. Um, he, he routinely was up around the late 300s and early 400-pound category. Um, he was a guy I actually knew um, personally for several years back during my muscle mag days. Um, Anyway, yeah, he turned pro, did a few shows, I think four or five, gradually looked worse and worse. Um, Palumboism set in harshly in him. Yeah. Anyway, he, uh, yeah, he passed away last week, last week, I think, of uh, heart failure, I believe. He was only 44 years old. So, um, you know, I never had a problem with the guy as a person. He um, was never rude, rude to me, to me. or un- unkind. Um, and I don't think many people do have anything bad to say about him as a person. Um, certainly, he was an extremely strong individual. Um, not quite as strong as the muscle tech ads would have made you believe back in the <laughs> mid to late 90s. Because um, he was a, their original sponsored athlete. Um, in fact, I would strongly suggest that um, he was paramount in helping that company kind of take off as it did. Um, and I don't think he probably ever reaped the rewards that he was deserved. Um, it is interesting, anyway. Rob, that you bring this up because Phil and I were just talking about a strong man who died, who I think also of heart failure. Did he not? Or yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, what, what what was his name again? Uh, um, yeah, exactly, exactly. I kind of forget what it is too, and I feel bad saying that because that doesn't Higgins. give him much. Uh, he was very young, like thirty-one years yeah. old, I think. Yeah, another young guy, and I feel badly. That I can't remember his name. That feels like I feel like I'm disrespecting him, but, but, but I also gigantic. Too. But yeah, you know, guy. Um, but yeah, so Kovacs uh, has passed on um, again at only 44 years old, um, and he, like I said, he he was an extremely strong and possibly the largest man I've ever seen in my life, muscular man I've ever seen in my life. Um, he always looked much better in the off season than he did on stage. Um, again, people who are familiar with bodybuilding know that some people just are not able to retain a physique when they start dipping below eight, you know, eight, ten percent body fat kind of a thing. 
Um, but yeah, when he was off season, he was, you know, probably six one, six two, and like I said, late three hundreds, four hundred pounds. I think he got up to four ten at one point. Just to, just a wow. colossally giant man. Um, anyway, um, certainly one can't help but imagine that um, at the very least his extreme size and you know a lot of the things that he had to use and abuse to aid himself in becoming that um, couldn't have helped matters but um, you know I'd like to extend you know certainly uh, you know my feelings towards his family and friends and so forth uh, you know because that's it's horrible and like I say I, I certainly have nothing bad to say about the guy he was an incredibly imposing person and um, as far as I know he was kind to everybody he knew and like I said he never mistreated me so but you always um, heard stories about his gross mass I mean like that he couldn't even use the bathroom by himself without his wife's, wife's help you know stuff like that right because he well even... you know the thing that's kind of long-lasting as far as the you know the myth of Greg Kovacs one of the things was um, a lot of what came out in the years after you know of his friendship that you know that he had at one time with Nasser al-Sambadi who was a pro bodybuilder who was very successful as a pro bodybuilder but who has also coincidentally passed on a few years ago um, I actually knew them at the germination of their friendship when they were both in Toronto. Um, Greg is Canadian, but he's not from Toronto. When he was in Toronto with Nasser at a Muscle Mag store autograph signing. Um, and that was kind of the, the start. I believe that was probably the start of their friendship. And, you know, we hung around a little bit and so forth. And um, Nasser El Sambadi, before his death, he released a bunch of things about how their friendship completely tanked and how this, that, and everything else. And Greg said that Nasser was. You know, a colossal dick. Nasser was saying, you know, heartless things about Greg Kovacs. And one of the things was that, yeah, like he, in hotel rooms, and that he had to use like towels, you know, with what, you know, and, and, you know, in a certain fashion. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hook it between his legs, you know, and kind of go back and forth to, to wipe his own butt and that kind of thing. Cause, cause he was so big, he couldn't do it himself. But, Again, I don't even really like to talk about those types of things. No, you know, I was just dead. referring he's to dead. his mass. Yeah. He's dead yet now, and I only mention that only because it, it's whether it was true or not. It, it it certainly helps people who never saw him understand just the size of this man. Um, like at, at that time, Nasser El Sambadi was off season, and he was three hundred and twenty pounds. Uh, we worked; uh, three of us worked out together at the gym, and afterwards, Nasser. Um, pretty much stripped down to his skivvies, stood on the scale, and it was 320. And I can say that standing beside Kovacs that weekend, Nastros and Bad looked like a little girl. Wow. So um, that should give you guys, you know, a, a sense of just how big this guy was. Actually, Rob, uh, that's what Phil and I were discussing. I mean, your heart is about the size of your fist. I mean, obviously, it's going to be bigger as you're a bigger dude, you know, and the. Androgens will thicken up the muscle and enlarge it somewhat and that sort of thing. But the point being is it's simply too much tissue. I mean, look at the way that a lot of these extreme physiques, this is loosely related to our topic later, but the extreme nature of the physiques, these guys are dying in their freaking 30s and 40s. And you do not see that out of the Zanes and the Pearls and the guys who were, uh, you know, I'm not going to point fingers that they were also using performance-enhancing drugs. But, I mean, let's be serious. 
And but there seemed to be a difference between use and abuse, like a generational thing. And those well, guys I, are in their seventies, eighties. Well, I can tell you, Lonnie, you and I used to la- um, talk about how outlandish it was to consider that you know it was said that some guys were toying with two, three grams of testosterone a week. Um, well, in the last several years, I've increasingly heard, read um, of lots of guys. You know, pushing way beyond that. Well, last week as... was uh, was it Boston Rob? Was that his name, Phil? Yeah, Boston Lloyd. Oh, I'm Boston sorry, Lloyd. Yeah, <laughs> Boston yeah. Didn't Lloyd. he say something outlandish? What did he say? Thirteen 10 grams. Or thirteen grams. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, man. If that guy is on thirteen grams, a it's bunk gear, or he has no receptors because <laughs> that that guy is it looks like shit, and he's got waxed Ouch. eyebrows. I, I just Ouch. can't. That's not something that Iron Radio can condone. See, Phil all. and I were being Any more professional. Man there, who's waxing his eyebrows? Stop listening to us right now. Anyway, you're going to get me all fired up here, but <laughs> that's why we miss you, Fortress. Uh, they are supposed to be ugly and smelly. That's just the way it's supposed to oh. be. Anyway, God, here we go. Um, so okay. not to get off track here. Yeah, so uh, rest in peace, Greg Kovacs. Um, it was nice to know you. The yeah. other thing I wanted to say was apparently Westside Barbell now has its own line of supplements. And just the very sentence, line of, sen- you know, having your own line of supplements makes me nauseous. Do we really more need more fart powder lining the store shelves? Well, now I don't really. Now, Rob, we did talk about this powder. months ago, uh, but I think they've expanded their line at the very least. Because, I, in fact, I was I had to dig. Uh, there was some sort of pharmaceutical angle on something that they were doing. I, I don't even remember now, but like, and I think you were saying the same thing, Rob. <laughs> you know, fart powder, this and that. <laughs> Well, come know. on. I mean, you know, I and I don't like to badmouth, you know, Westside and that. Because Westside, you know, for for all the damage it's done to powerlifting, it is a, a, an iconic name and, you know, the idea of Westside and Louis Simmons and all that type of thing. But, you know, even reading the press release here, you know, you know, they're announcing the WPN, Westside Performance Nutrition, you know, their conjugate and tricor. These amino acid-based nutritional supplements are designed for men and women who lift weights to enhance their, here we go, strength, muscle mass, endurance, power, speed, and sports performance. I mean, why don't you just toss in, like, you know, house painting and, you know, lawn cutting amongst the things that these, you know, supplements are going to improve. I don't know. And again, who knows? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. It, It just seems to me it's just, I'm so tired of everybody with their new supplement lines. I mean, help me out here, guys. Well, it does seem so requisite. I, I mean, obviously, Louie is using his reputation as a, a super yeah. trainer, uh, but it does make you wonder about specific expertise. You know, well, yeah, and you know, he, you know, it says you know how he got a you know a bunch of uh, an experienced individuals to develop these lines. You know, and he, how he's using it to uh, using it for his you know West Side athletes. Um, you know heavy-duty supplement protocol into the training programs of my Westside athletes. Well, by his own admission, all his Westside athletes are hormonally aided substantially. Hmm. So we've talked about this before. The irony of the fact that all these supplement companies use, you know, highly drug and hormone, you know, influenced physiques in their, you know, their ads and so forth 
Do you think really any of those kind of guys, a Ronnie Coleman or a world-class West Side multiply lifter, do you really think an amino acid supplement is going to be noticeable to somebody like that? Well, to play devil's advocate, I reckon that Louie would probably say, this is the building blocks that we give to those guys that are aided to make them even better. You know, the drugs are alone uh, responsible. They need nutri- nutrition. I don't know. They, you know, that potentially they are uh, better at using protein than <laughs> the average person. <laughs> so, you know, extra amino acids are good for them. But, uh, yeah, but come on. We also know guys like that are not shying away from freaking pizzas and freaking yeah, Wendy's hamburgers. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. no, I come on. Like, you know, you're taking a few amino acids. That's going to take the place of, you know, the 18 Big Macs you ate today. Like, well, you know, Rob, we, this is the inevitable progression toward a supplement line, even people who shouldn't be in the supplement business to begin with. And, you know, we've talked about that before, that they that is how the physique industry or at least the bodybuilding industry, and largely in a lot of ways the powerlifting industry too, I suppose, that's one of the key products that generate Income. revenue. Yeah, And so it's it's almost an inevitable progression, I think, like I said, even for people who you know, yeah, and you gotta didn't think, start I mean, that Louis, way. I don't think he's made a lot of money off of it. As much as he's done, as much as he's written, I mean, he has a gym that's invite only. You can only make so much money there. You know, and... For I'm sure he had a few books and he made up the reverse hyper, but it's you know I think it's he's trying to cash in a little bit. Yeah. He's getting old yeah. too. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, um, in, in other news and bring it back to Harry and Stinky, uh, men. Oh, oh boy, <laughs> uh, I thought you were just talking about me there for a minute. No, Andre Malenichev made the history. And, oh, yes, yeah, he he uh, got the largest total. For a raw total in history, he beat uh, Don Reinhold by uh, 34 pounds. Yeah. First person to total over 2,400 pounds raw. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, I mean, I, you watch the videos, and they're all good lifts. Yes, absolutely they're good lifts. Um, yeah, for uh, anybody who's interested in this stuff, and if you're listening, you should be interested, go to YouTube and check that dude out and check his list because, as Phil's saying, man, we're not talking, like, you know, really sketchy lifts here you know with no. multi-ply gear we're talking really you know minimal gear like belts and I don't know, wraps I think that, but, yep. yeah but you know his lifts are good yep. they're really good I mean and uh, yeah. 9 959 squat 573 bench 892 deadlift oh and you know what, what the funny thing is in a thread somebody made about that Phil and some of our listeners who know powerlifting will laugh at this as well the person said well, that that bench press is not really that good. I know guys who are <laughs> three hundred pounds. That do. I'm thinking, you know, when you really don't know anything to yeah. that degree, yeah. just shut your mouth. Yeah, the guys you know, are like five hundred and seventy-three pounds in a t-shirt. You know, <laughs> anybody who knows anything about three lift power lifters mm-hmm. knows that anybody who has achieved substantial squats and deadlifts has massively hindered ultimately their ability to have a gigantic bench press. Yeah. And when you're talking about somebody who has <laughs> achieved a deadlift and a squat of that magnitude and he's still pushing towards a 600-pound raw press yeah. in a three-lift meet, yeah. that is freakish. Yeah. 
So if that guy's listening to me, suck my big toe because that is awesome. Yeah. Way to a, censor. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's hard for you. <laughs> yeah. No, but that is that. That's a phenomenal feat. And can you guys uh, give a name? Uh, what spell something that sounded like a very foreign name? What was it? Oh, uh, Andre Malenichev. Okay. Yep. So the, the the record is no longer in the USA, and it was the, the, the amazing thing is he beat the record. The record he beat was in place since 1975. Oh, <laughs> exactly. exactly. So it, it's, it's a long-standing record. So yeah. heaviest total ever by anyone in any weight. So. So hats off to that gentleman. Yeah, uh, that that's a uh, a milestone that, that's <laughs> over three decades in the making. So yeah. right, yeah. You know, and a lot of the younger listeners, that's one in your corner because you know we've had guests on like Marty before, right? The, oh, there's not much change and this and that, and you know the old guys were actually stronger if anything, and yeah, not necessarily now. Some of the yeah, the, and well, the weird thing is maybe not weird, but. It's the Russians and Eastern Europeans and stuff that are still really strong. You know, there's a few of them that are just freakishly strong, but they're also freaking big. You know, they're just big men. Right. They're, right. you know, and I'm not talking like bodybuilder big. I'm talking just imposingly large, structured dudes. Right. Large men. They're not afraid of sitting down and having a cheeseburger or two. Um. So. Okay. Well, let's get to Danny. She's been very patient. Thank you, Danny. Oh, yeah, no problem. Uh, well, that's our usual rambling there. Um, yeah, yes. Yeah, so, sorry for our mindless machismo rambling. Oh, I love it. No, don't <laughs> apologize. <laughs> we, we certainly don't want you to think that we're not aware of the fact that you're on here with us. So, Well, <laughs> thank you. I, I'm enjoying it. Uh, well, so, Danny, why don't you share with listeners uh, your background with the weights? Uh, you have a new book out, and we'll get to that in just a moment, um, The Sound of Secrets, which is spanking new, I think, just mid-late November. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, maybe just share your origin story, because that's always fun to hear about. Sure. Well, I actually started lifting weights in high school, um, as a lot of people did. So I've been lifting since I was about 15, um, and then I started bodybuilding in high school at age 16, uh, probably 17 or 18. Um, and I, I would win all of those competitions. Not like I had a whole lot of competition against me, but it was something that I really enjoyed and really loved doing. And, um, so I've just been lifting since high school and, um, I'm currently a fitness coach online, um, on my website, good girl fitness. And, um, I'm preparing for a figure contest in April. So. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and you know, I I do have some experience with um, testosterone nation, tnation.com. My husband is, you know, Chris Sugart. And so we met a few years ago and, um, and then I worked for T Nation for a couple of years, got some experience there, learned a whole lot of things there. And then I just branched off on my own and um, now I'm just doing my own fitness coaching. Okay. I'm finding out that with a lot of my clients, the way that they eat and their behaviors are often so, so, so tied into their psychology. Like women especially have emotional ties to food and they use food as a way to medicate their emotions. So um, if they're, if 
if women are gaining weight and not eating well, a lot of times it's because they're eating for the wrong reasons. And so that's what I'm finding with a lot of this distance coaching. With males, it's it's a totally different thing. It's more about habit change. And, and so, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I can share one thing before we go to break here, which is just I had an old buddy in high school, state champion wrestler, and I might have shared this before, but – uh, just to put this in perspective, and I don't want to make it sound like all women are emotional eaters and all men are <laughs> robots, you know. Uh, yeah. But this guy, he would, um, as the state championships approached or whatever, he would go to buffets, chow down. He'd go in the bathroom and promptly throw it up. Uh, nothing wow. negative. I mean, uh, emotionally, uh, when the season was over, went back to normal eating, uh, had no body image issues. Uh, you know, I mean, was his eating disordered? No doubt. That is not normal <laughs> eating. But, yeah. you know, that utter lack of emotional um, tie, uh, you know, whether it's his physique or anything emotional, just not there. He's just like, yeah, I had to get rid of it. You know, I can't I can't have that right now. I wanted to eat it and I had to get rid of it. And I mean, <laughs> it was one of the most matter of fact. And that was one of the first times I was watching. Obviously, people know wrestling being a weight class sport you know you got to make weight and um yeah but it was just so matter of fact and that was one of the first times especially because i had other friends uh in fact one of them just came out with a a memoir about her her struggles with eating disorders um and she's working with schools and this and that and i see some parallels actually danny but the point is very very different scenario than this guy who just didn't care you know so um so true. And women just carry so much guilt with them that they want to um, undo the repercussions. And then when they do that, they set off a cycle of uh, hyper restriction and then um, overindulgence. So it's, yeah. it's cyclical. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, before we get into the topic, because I think we're going to drift there very quickly, let's go to break just briefly. When we come back, we're going to tackle that topic of the day. I've got some uh, open-ended questions for uh, Danny and Rob. Please chime in if you have any thoughts, even if it's just that, you know, from your perspective, you just, you know, had this or that emotion or lack of emotion with your physique or with eating or whatever. Um, and we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So, uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press and protein, uh, 
there's a new development on the right side of the page. You can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for sixty nine U.S. dollars. So that's thirty one percent off the ninety nine ninety five uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. Sixty nine dollars. I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it uh, lower down the page. They have one hundred and eighty day rentals and one year rentals, so you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Rob Porches Fortney, and I'm here to ask that as the holidays approach and your thoughts turn to giving, you consider your friends here at ironradio.org. Over the past several years, we've heard and read hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. We are here for you. But like any other radio format, we're listener supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 per month, you can become a sporting member. Keep your weekly dose of education, experts, and gen talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page or click the donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brother and Sister. Thanks for helping us create a place for better internet programming for all strength and muscle sports and a happy holidays. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everybody, we're back. It's Rob and Phil and Lonnie, and we're Danny Shugart, and we're talking about eating disorders, um, and especially relevant to bodybuilding and physique sports. Uh, and the first question I really have for everybody is, and Danny, let's start with you, of course, but um, maybe this is uh, obvious to people who have done it, but just for our general listeners why is it that you think bodybuilders and physique competitors are so prone uh, to eating disorders? Is it something innate? Um, is it something that is indoctrinated? Why are uh, we so prone to this sort of thing? Well, uh, you know, that's that's a really great question. And I have to wonder if it's not um, – I don't think that the bodybuilding is what makes us prone to that. I think that – if, if you're the type of person who already has an addictive personality and you don't want to be addicted to food, you don't want to be a binge eater, you don't want to be addicted to, you know, just laziness and watching TV and eating. And so you find a way to channel that into something that's healthy. And exercise is one of those things that you can be addicted to and not just ruin your life. You know, it actually improves your life. So... If you do go into a physique competition, you do carry some of that uh, addictiveness with you. And so you're going to get obsessed with whatever you're doing. A lot of times that means um, 
you know, just being hyper restrictive with your diet, especially if you're a female, because females are, are more inclined to think, um, I need to lose fat or, you know, I need to drop weight or, or, you know, cellulite issues. But I think overall it's a good thing because it does help women to see that, okay, in order to grow, in order to have muscle mass, I actually have to eat. I have to fuel for that. So it kind of does keep women from going the more anorexic route. Now, there are levels and forms of disordered eating that are not eating disorders. So, um, you know, the physique competitions do have their good sides and their bad sides, but I, I, I tend to think that overall, I mean, if you had to choose between being a binge eater and being someone who's really strict with a healthy diet, who wouldn't want the healthy diet, you know? No, I agree. And I think we should probably just be clear. Uh, I've worked with a handful of eating disordered clients, uh, Mm-hmm. Just in my practice, and we have to understand there's different diagnostic criteria, right? The DSM, right. in fact, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual 5 is out now. Yes. And, um, and uh, in fact, we just bought it. <laughs> but the point is, um, you know, there are very specific, uh, sometimes quantitative uh, criteria. For example, anorexia nervosa, you're going to be mm-hmm. underweight. You know, your body mass index might be... 18.5 or less. You know, you're missing three consecutive periods in a row. Uh, right. Whereas something like um, a, a, a bulimia nervosa is in some ways the opposite. There's a loss of control with the binge, you know, and then there's the purge. And the purge isn't always just vomiting, of course. It could be right. self-punitive exercise. Uh, and I mm-hmm. have all kinds of stories about that sort of thing. But the point is, yeah, and then there's even eating disorders not otherwise specified, and it's literally called mm-hmm. that, right? EDNOS. Uh, yep. And I don't even know how the new DSM categorizes some of these things. I need to uh, bring myself up to speed on that. But the point being is, um, yeah, and then people are complex. It's like you can't pigeonhole someone as just a type A personality or just a type B necessarily or, you know, there's gray areas as this complex psyche uh has different characteristics from different eating disorders, you know? And so I like what you're saying is you have to almost be careful and say eating disorder. Well, then I'm looking for a diagnosis uh, as opposed to disordered eating uh, or these sort of EDNOS category things Mm -hmm. that runs the gamut. I mean, there's even some things that aren't even body image related, like pica where people eat non-food items, you know what I mean? So um, there's just a huge variety there. But now, Danny, you touched on, women versus men uh, in all of this too. Um, Now, just statistically, I know that that sort of um, pool of of person, that cohort, you know, um, women, highly competitive, disciplined, and by the way, that makes people like that very difficult to treat because they'll resist treatment in a lot of ways. Um, But... um, middle class or or higher income status. There's a lot of these sort of background criteria, you know, high standards growing up, all this sort of thing. But um, Mm -hmm. why do you think, in your uh, opinion, women are the preponderance of anorexia nervosa patients? That's another good question. Um, Well, I can tell you from experience, I mean, my sister uh, struggled with anorexia for um, 
about 20 years of her life, and she died not not this last October, but the October before. And she did have, I think she was, she was a perfectionist, really. And I think that she couldn't accept herself um, just being average. She couldn't accept an average body or an average way of eating. She wanted to be hyper-restrictive with herself, and I don't think that she just wanted to allow herself to eat normal food like normal people. I think she held herself to a higher standard, as odd as that may be. But um, you're right. Her body weight was extremely, extremely low. She was skin and bones for the the last half of her life. But then when she wasn't starving herself, she was binging and purging. So she had one of those. Um, it's, she was classified as anorexia, but um, it was the binge purge form of anorexia. Okay. It's very complex, but you can be both. Um, and depending upon your body weight, that's what determines whether or not you're anorexic. Um, but yeah, I think that it is one of those things where your perfectionism and you think you have this perfectionist mentality and you think that you're going to be more desirable and more attractive and more on top of your game if you are highly, highly disciplined with your diet and your weight. And um, it's, you know, I can't get inside of my sister's head, but I can tell you just the pressure that that I've experienced also as a female, um, just in society, you know, needing to look sexy, needing to look smaller than men, that kind of thing. And, And that's one of the really great things about physique competitions because it's not about smallness it's not about weakness it's about uh finding beauty in 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 a powerful looking physique if i can roll with that fortress now i want to talk yeah so what are your thoughts about do you think male bodybuilders as they're sculpting a perfect physique do you think sexy comes into that for guys as much. Well, I don't. I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't use the word sexy. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just, I'm but just I trying can to tell okay. you. I can tell you from being on a lot of these message boards, bodybuilding message boards. I can tell that a lot of young men, their sole reason for going into the gym is to be attractive to females. Mm. Um, but you know, um, it, it wasn't my. You know, it wasn't my pursuit of it. Um, I was bullied. I was bullied, so I, my my kind of impetus for doing it and, and kind of like thrust for doing it was different. But um, you know, speaking to um, your sister's situation, um, certainly I've never been anorexic by any stretch of any imagination. <laughs> but I understand it, and I understand it because certainly the whole idea of bigger big orexia. Yeah, um, I think I have flirted with that whole kind of thing to some degree. Um, overall, my career of, as being a weight trainer. Um, so, although it's the opposite, mm-hmm. it's probably driven by the same kind of idea. Yeah. Uh, you know, women think, you know, I have to be skinnier and smaller and to look more attractive. Well, um, in my case with the big anorexia, it's like, you know, I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not powerful enough, you know? So, it's never enough. Yeah, you know, for an anorexic, you know, it's never yeah. light enough. For a guy like me, it's never heavy enough. You know, your body weight's never big enough. You don't ever appear big enough. You can't lift enough weight. So, so I certainly understand it. It's very bizarre, but I think it kind of is the same on both ends. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny yeah, because what, if what, I can add, uh, when Danny mentioned average, not wanting to be average, that's 
that's a long running joke in my house. You know, like I, now I'm okay with it now in a lot of ways, but my, mm-hmm. my wife will sort of smile and say, well, you don't want to be average, you know, and kind of wink, you know, because uh, it, it is that well, yeah. when someone's competitive and disciplined, it once it starts to become sort of negative, you know, and it's, there seems to be a fine line, and I, I want to give a disclaimer here because none of us are psychology um, degreed people, you know. So right. what we're trying to do is share memoirs and, and personal opinions and case examples, maybe, um, as opposed to give any kind of clinical advice. So I don't want anybody to think we're going in that direction. But I do think there's a value to some of this because you can start to see patterns, you know, like this this desire not to be average. And I think that's probably something that that goes regardless of whether you want to be strong and sexy or strong and scary, you know, because in bodybuilding, a lot of times, like you said, Rob, it starts off wanting to be attractive to uh, the opposite sex. But over time, you you evolve. It's quite different. You know, it becomes a a brutality. It becomes, um, but always there's that resistance um, of the, what you start to perceive as the weakness of average, you know, and that's, I think where it starts to become dangerous when things start to become, uh, negative in in such a way. So let me, let me ask, Oh, go ahead, Rob. Well, I did, I I did want to comment on something. Sorry. Um, Mm -hmm. earlier you were asking Lonnie, whether you think it's, um, you know, if it's the culture that kind of feeds this or, you know, or people get it, it's almost like you're talking about politicians, right? <laughs> does the, does getting into politics turn people into like self-centered pricks or, you know, or does the profession itself attract people who are prone to that? Right. Um, well, it's the same kind of thing. And I, you know, um, speaking to one of the women that you actually referenced a few, few minutes ago, Lonnie, who actually at one time was my girlfriend, um, you know, and most of the girlfriends I've had, I've, I mean, which stands to reason, right? Usually people who are of the gym and of some sort of athletics usually kind of gravitate towards other people who are, you know, share that kind of lifestyle. Uh, most of my girlfriends and so forth have been kind of of that lifestyle, whether they're, you know, powerlifting or po- bodybuilding or just, you know, enjoyed going to the gym. And one of the things that's the downfall, and I, I, I suppose they could say the same about me in, in, in a reciprocated fashion, is that all these girlfriends that I've had have all had to varying degrees issues with food and issues with, you know, their body image and all those types of things. And, you know, um, I like to think I'm a very supportive guy and I like to think I was always, but you know, it's, it's just something that I've always been, it's very, I'm attracted to women who are like that, but you know, I also have to realize that a lot of great many women who are, who are, into that also have some degree of again issue with food and body image and all this type but like i say i mean they could say the same thing about me again in maybe an opposite spectrum but um so i think to a large degree gyms are full of people that that have that you know in them and again whether whether the you know the catalyst for that was you know like you know being bullied or if you're a woman and you know you're overweight as a young teenage girl or you know, you're a guy who, you know, was wimpy and thought that the big jock guys were getting more girls. I mean, wherever it comes from, um, it's one of those things where it can help. And you always hear about, about how the gym and that lifestyle can help people like that to develop more self-confidence and so forth. Mm-hmm. That's true. 
But you know what? There's also the 50% other side of things where it leads people down a very dark path. And because all of a sudden your head goes right up your keister. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden you get a little bit and, and it's like that thing, right? You get an inch and you want to take a mile. You know what I mean? All of a sudden you start looking better. You start losing a little bit of weight. You start putting on a little bit of muscle. Whatever it is, you like the results. And I think a lot of the personality types that get into it are the types that kind of become obsessive towards things like that. So if a little bit is great, you know, a lot will be the ultimate. Well, I and think, when isn't when well, isn't enough enough enough? The, you know, like sometimes I was I use it, let me give you an example. Of this is sometimes when I do just an introductory lecture on this topic, I'll talk about how food avoidance can sometimes be equated with goodness or strength in some ways. But uh, once you make food the enemy, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking as a physiologist and a nutritionist now. You have to have fuel and building blocks to live, right? So once you make food the enemy, you are going to lose that war. It's almost like saying, well, I mean, what else do we need? We absolutely need oxygen. So I could say oxygen is the enemy. (gasps) How long am I going to hold my breath? Eventually, I've got to come to terms with oxygen. You know what I mean? And again, Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to make a dramatic example that... You, you know, you can't start to equate these essential things to life, uh, avoiding them. You can't equate their avoidance with um, achievement. Uh, you know what I mean? You cannot win that battle. You can't win the battle that if oxygen's your enemy. So you can't win the battle that food is your enemy, ultimately. But at the same time, nobody, I think, wakes up one morning and says, I think I'm going to eat 600 calories a day from now on. This is a slippery slope, right? The human psyche is a very complex thing, and I think that's why we got to keep in mind these are food is often the expression of an emotional problem and not necessarily the root cause of it itself. And that's why you need a team uh, of healthcare professionals to deal with this, the physician to deal with the signs and symptoms of, you know, the physical disorders. You have to have the, the mental health professional. You have to have the dietitian, oftentimes an exercise phys kind of person. And I mean, literally, these are team kinds of things. Um, and even then, there's a lot of people that have uh, eating disorders. They don't completely recover. They, there's not a hundred percent just walk away from it rate. You know, there's a there's a significant percentage of people with anorexia, for example. I've always likened it to like a almost alcoholism. Is that they manage these impulses, um, but they're not completely just. They don't absolve themselves com- completely of the original issues. Sometimes, you know. Um, so let me ask you this, Danny. What? Um, how do we not start to label everything in eating disorder? I mean, you said yourself, things like bodybuilding can be very positive, you know, with exercise or trying to choose the right foods. But where does choosing the right foods become like an orthorexia? You know, right, yeah. meaning in quotes, right foods, you know? <laughs> well, I think it. I think the, uh, the place at which it stops becoming a disorder is when there's no guilt involved in it, you know, because you can eat a healthy diet and then indulge in something. What you do after that indulgence is what determines whether or not you have a problem. If you have to um, punish yourself afterwards in any way, that's disordered. I mean, average people who have you know, who don't hold themselves to such high standards, 
they're constantly indulging. It's not a disorder because they don't punish themselves afterwards. If they wanted to eat healthier, they could. They don't have any guilt. They don't have any um, caloric compensation afterwards. But people who are oftentimes, you know, prone to that orthorexic behavior are the same ones who feel guilty after they enjoy their food or enjoy something that's not 100% healthy or, you know, something that doesn't have protein and fiber. And um, if, if something has a little bit extra sugar or extra fat, and if they go off and punish themselves or feel extreme guilt or beat themselves up or um, fast the next day because of that food, that's disordered. Okay. You know, you said something earlier that I thought, I think very much along the same lines, which is when we focus, we allow ourselves to focus on the muscle part of physique. I think that's in a way an out, um, at least partially for people who obsess over, I have to be leaner. I have to be leaner. I have to have less body fat, remove all the body fat, get all even watery, you know, water retention, get rid of it, you know, and the, the muscle part is the construction you know, there's something constructive. Uh, and now I'm not saying that there's not bigorexia. Rob's got a good point. Um, but I I really think along those lines, and I think you touched on that just a minute ago. Can you just expand on that a little bit, I guess? is So you think maybe the muscle building could be something that not just for bone density or health reasons, mm-hmm. but for emotional reasons could be a way to spin maybe some of this uh, hyper-discipline. Yes. Um, Well, a lot of times when females go to the gym, and this was me for a really long time, my goal at going to the gym was to punish myself. My goal was to make up for my dietary sins the next day. So the very next morning, I would go to the gym and run as hard as I could or lift as hard as I could. And it was all this mentality of, um, okay, now I have to compensate for what I did wrong yesterday. So when I stopped become I, I stopped running. I couldn't I got injured and, and became not a runner anymore and then I focused on weight training. And as I was weight training, I saw myself building muscle and, and I thought that that looked good. And then after a while I started to think, well, if that looks good, maybe I need to be focusing on building muscle, making that my main goal instead of punishment. So it is really a growth mentality instead of a punishment mentality. And like you said, it's more constructive um, when you're trying to build muscle and feed that muscle than when you're trying to um, undo what you did the day before. And when I work with a lot of clients who have this whole okay, I need to fast all day because I messed up yesterday and then they fast all day and then at night they have a big, huge dinner and then they overeat and then they indulge in something that's, you know, not very beneficial for them. So then they wake up the next morning feeling guilty and not hungry. They'll start the cycle all over again. Whereas if they just started fresh, reset their mind, their mindset, and then thought about how do I feed, what's the best way to feed muscle rather than taking away from it, rather than uh, becoming catabolic. Not, I mean, it's crazy. When I was a runner, I wanted to catabolize muscle. I I, I wanted to burn fat, yes, but I also wanted to get rid of muscle. I thought I was too muscular. (laughs) 
Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that is. Yeah. That's hard for. I bet a lot of our listeners, especially the powerlifters, and I again, I don't want to pigeonhole even powerlifters. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I think there are a lot of powerlifters. They're like, wait, you want to burn muscle? You know, and a yeah. lot of bodybuilders as well. Um, but you know what I mean? I think with the powerlifters, especially, sometimes we joke. Like Phil has even joked. Uh, he'll play a little game, fat or powerlifter, as they go around and they they look at people who look heavily built, you know. And um, I, I yeah. don't think there's a – I think there's a very different mindset with the power crowd. You know what I mean? They embrace body fat in a way that I think uh, mm. even a lot of bodybuilders could probably learn from in a way. You know, there's a time to be 15% fat, for goodness sake. You know, <laughs> you well, know? what will I even say? What will I say oftentimes? I always say, you know, jokingly, but – there's an element of truth to it. I say things like, you know, if I ever, if anybody ever sees a six pack on me, you know, you know, warn me that I need to buy more pizza, <laughs> you know, because the last, the last thing, you know, because it's true, because I mean, for me, it, for most, certainly natural drug free, but for most powerlifters, period, um, you know, success in, in heavy lifting, you don't want a six pack, you know, because a six pack would in, indicate a little wasp waste. And nobody lifts huge weights with wasps, waste kind of a thing, right? So, yeah. um, but also something I want to mention um, about what we were talking about, about you were saying about um, punishing yourself, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an element for where I come from, where I think because people have always, you know, told me all through my lifting, you know, how how much I can push myself, and certainly I've um, on the show I've talked about how. A lot of my early years of training could have been considered downright masochistic. Um, I think, to a large degree, and this might, you know, be divulging too much here, but I think there's an element of me that thinks that I have to punish myself as penance for when I was younger and was bullied by people. Wow. Um, I, and again, as as you yourself said, Lonnie, you know, none of us here are like you know, PhD, you know, psychologists and stuff, but. I think there's an element of that. It's almost like I have to constantly prove myself, you know, um, physically to kind of push away the demons that I had when I was a kid as far as being, you know, the target for ridicule and physical abuse. It is a a pursuit of power, and I think that's where the bodybuilders and the powerlifters are often uh, very similar is I felt very empowered as I got more and more muscular, you know, because I'm – I'm not a big person, but I was never one of those sand kicked my face kind of people. It really wasn't about that for me or like um, I was interested in martial arts and that sort of thing. But I don't know. A lot of these things seem machismo, but I was never particularly threatened growing up. I don't know. But it was just that that power, though. Yeah, I grew up in a pretty rough part of Toronto. Oh, Um, yeah, I I know. You know, and, you know, which was predominantly Italians and blacks. And um, not just that, but I've always been kind of. Um, well, again, without getting too much into it, you know, I, I, I really do think that that really informed a big part of what I am now as a lifter and why I still pursue it. Um, it's going for that thing that's unattainable. Mm. I mean, look at look at even, you know, like like my fascination and love for characters, fictional characters like the Hulk and so forth. You know what I mean? The guy that, you know, metamorphosizes, you know, into this kind of like, you know, beastly, you know, um, figure that's, you know, that, that's not, not threatened by anything anymore. It's funny, Rob, that yeah. you say that. I mean, you and you know that I relate to, in a certain way, to, uh, similar way to the weights, I think, is these things are pursuits of power. 
you know, you are bigger. Even Arnold would say, well, I'm bigger and stronger than everybody else. That's a fantastic feeling. It's empowering. And in a lot of ways, I think, uh, Danny, you can, you know, disagree, Mm -hmm. of course, but I would think that for at least a, a lot of women, there's that similar thing. You know what I mean? You use discipline to obtain some level of superiority, yes. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. You, you know? It's ironic that anorexi- anorexics, anorectics use um, starving themselves as a tool for power. There is a control element there. So you're spot on with that. I totally agree. Mm. Uh, you know, for me... Um, over the years, really in a lot of ways, bodybuilding um, kicked off my career. You know, I pursued the degrees I did in, in nutrition and exercise phys and stuff because I grew up around uh, bodybuilding magazines. A lot of listeners know my sister bought me one as a joke in 1983, and I took it deadly seriously. <laughs> you know, uh, Rob, you heard me talk about that with Samir on the cover, you know. and But yeah. one of the things that I've really come to do, partly through my education maybe, but I have other things uh, that I can value, you know, and um, I don't know, in some way, like the last time I competed just a couple of years ago, um, I actually enjoyed, I reminded myself to enjoy putting some body fat back on. And it was a little bit easier because I was very depleted. I was injured because, you know, middle-aged, you know, no body fat, this kind of thing. I wanted in a way to put body fat back on, but there's always that thing in the back of my mind where I had to let go, you know, Mm. that these are, uh, and Rob and I have talked about this many, many times, but when a lot of these people, when men and women, when they look at physique sports in magazines, there's so many categories for women now, bodybuilding and bikini and physique and fitness and figure and, you know, that's a very temporary state of being generally, you know, when you see somebody on the cover, they're not always like that. I mean, you know what I mean? That's at the end of a target date diet. And I think that can be so misleading for people that they set an impossible standard. Rob, you yourself just said like this perfection, uh, but you're wise enough over the years, you know, maybe old enough to realize you're not going to get there, but you keep striving for it in a positive way. You know, it's not like a sad thing. Oh, I'll never get there. No, you won't, but you're going to get in. You're going to inch toward it, you know? Uh, yeah. But, yeah, the average person needs to realize that that is not a natural state of being, being 4% fat or for some of these women, they're single-digit percent fat. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not a natural state of being, and it's not a, a permanent state of being. It's a temporary state of being. Well, you know, you even think – like you see the extremity of it. I mean, how much stronger than the average man is a man who can squat, you know, 350 pounds? And then you're talking about – <clears throat> you know, this p- pursuit of 500 pounds and 600 pounds and 700 pounds and 800 pounds. And you think, you know, it's it's just extreme. It's going so far beyond the norm that sometimes you have those m- moment, those moments of clarity when you're down on yourself. But then you realize what you've become, mm. you know, that you're like, wow, I mean, I'm down on myself because I you know, quote unquote, only did this or only can do that this right now, you know, and you're pushing for something. But then you think, holy crap, like my mind has really gotten skewed over the years. No, it's you a know, good like, point because of all, there's so much hyperbole and uh, like like we we're saying temporary falseness on the cover of the magazines necessarily. Yeah. Um, 
that the average person doesn't realize. I mean, I've been to photo shoots where they had duct tape and they're they're grabbing the person's obliques on either side and they're duct taping it almost like a, a clothes display, you know, to try to narrow their waist as they face the camera. You know, there's so many crazy things that you see. Um, and I think uh, realistic expectations are one of the best things that we can do when we work with clients, you know, is this is a realistic time frame. This is a realistic um, diet plan, you know, uh, or state of being, because like you're saying, Rob, it could become so extreme. And I bet Danny, you probably, it might not be with a 700 pound squat, but mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure there's this vague, um, and maybe not so vague perfection in the back of your mind, like this rock hard statue of perfection, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that's oh, yeah. so far from the norm and the farther from the norm, probably the better, you know, but the irony of that is I think when you start, you don't want necessarily extreme, but over time, like I said, it's like slippery slope. You, you drift further and further. The further away I, away I am from average, the more powerful I am, you know, exactly. kind, of, kind of thing. Yeah. And I wonder if that's kind of an ego thing, you know, we, we don't want to be you know, like the, the average people, we want to be above average. We want to be gods, you know? Well, yeah. And like Rob, yeah. Rob and I talk yeah. about comic book characters and I think that's what we're trying to articulate, you know, is there is that extreme, um, you know, sense of power and superiority. And on some level it's real, right? Weight training is a way to obtain a certain level of strength and poise and power that, 95% of the population will never know, you know, and I think it's intoxicating a little bit, frankly. And the same thing with the physique part, you know, so Absolutely especially because you go, you go with what you're good at, right? Like Rob, you, your elbows are, it are the size of my, you know, I don't know, waist. <laughs> I, I'm not like that. You know what I mean? So I went with what I was good at and I bet there's a lot of women physique competitors that are in a similar boat. You know, I always idolize the Frank Zane type people because that's what I was good at. If I if I got my body weighed up around 210 and I was lean, I, I looked like a comic book character because I have such little joints. That's what I'm good at. You know, I'm not necessarily good at squatting the seven and 800 pounds. And I think that's that's a lot of women probably drift in that direction. You know, this it's a mix of art and discipline and science and yes. it, it can be it can be very fun and it can be a positive pursuit and i i like that danny keeps going back to guilt um that's where things start to turn sour if it's punishment and guilt on some level uh mm -hmm. you know I, I don't know how you do it well when i work with clients i really try to focus on do's do eat more lean sources of protein do seek fiber and vegetables and not don'ts because as soon as you start focusing on those don'ts you fall off the wagon and there's guilt you know, there's failure yes. or guilt. Uh, let me ask you this then. With your book coming out, The Sound of Secrets, um, mm -hmm. what's, what's your ultimate hope for that, the impact of that book? Um, the, the ultimate impact of it would be to show women that they're not alone because in the past year, I have seen so many... Uh, th through the mourning process and the grief, it's interesting because I've been extremely sensitive to a lot of the commentary that I hear from other women, especially other athletic women. And it's interesting how um, how disordered, how messed up everyone's eating really is. I mean, it's it's hard to find a female who's who's not 
um, who's not involved in athleticism and, and athletic pursuits, who, who doesn't have disordered eating. That's rare. That's becoming rare. And I think it's a shame. I think we should be celebrating our bodies and celebrating our athleticism and eating for both pleasure and nourishment. And so the, the purpose of The Sound of Secrets was to show women, um, you know, here's what's causing your problems. Here's Here's what I see happening. And I'm not a psychologist or anything, but here are the obvious things that I see happening and here's a guideline. Here's what to do about it. Here's how to get yourself back on the right track so that you're nourishing yourself and feeling good about it, feeling positive about it. Right. Now, I know Chris has a background in psychology. Did he have input in the book or did you try to do this pretty much just uh, on your own? Yeah, I I tried to do it pretty much on my own. Now, Chris and I are... um, we're kind of inseparable. I mean, <laughs> so whenever we have conversations, we love the same stuff. We love talking about big ideas and psychology and fitness and just anything that you can think of related to health. And so um, he's been my sounding board from the get-go. He always has been and always will be. But um, so he he helped me process a lot of my own thoughts. And so um, I did get a lot of help from him. I got a lot of feedback from him, too. So. Okay. Hey, I have one. Uh, I'm gonna make one quick uh, question about the book, and then I'm gonna ask you a very hard question. So brace yourself, okay? Okay. <laughs> uh, it's it's an emotional question, but first, um, I notice on Amazon, uh, your book is zero dollars, the Kindle price. Uh, how does that work? I'm not <laughs> I'm not familiar with how this works or how people might go about getting this, or is it digital it's, only? Or it's today is a promotional day, so I did that on purpose so that I could. Um, get more readership. I kind of want the message to spread. It's not about making the money. It's about helping people. I I, I feel like this is a calling for me. Ever since my sister um, passed away, I just felt I can't not help people at this point. If I I feel like I have changed my, my mindset and my thought process and I've fixed myself, how can I not reach out and help people who are on the verge or on the cusp of what my sister was going through? So the book is really not about making money. It's about spreading the word and getting women to um, love their bodies and love eating again and love taking care of themselves. So today uh, is, is a free day. So the, the book is downloadable for free right now. And I think it will be for the next couple of days. And then it'll go back up to $4.99, which is also pretty cheap. So um, it's, you know, I, I intended it for, for it to be cheap and I intended it for it to be a fast read. I want people to get as much of a message with as little an investment that they need to make. Okay. Yeah, I see it's 87 pages. So this is a digest, yeah. ju- digestible, yeah, read here. Yeah, read in one sitting, basically. Okay. Um, here's my hard question. We're going to end with this because we're just about out of time. Um, sure. I just thought about this when I was talking about I was eating blizzards to put body fat back on on purpose after the last time I competed right now. And I'm, you know, don't get me wrong. I have a certain body image thing in my head and I'm always going to have some of that, you know, and Mm -hmm. with me, it's always trying to keep it positive. But how do you do that when you work with clients or you do a target date diet yourself and you're going for, you know, fairly extreme levels of leanness and that sort of thing? How do you deal with the refeed 
how do you get back to normalcy? Because a target date diet is not a normal thing. Right. Um, you know, that's that's something that I've been thinking about a lot this week because I'm I'm at about 16 weeks out, and um, I decided I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm not ever going to do this to a client either. I don't. I don't like the idea of dropping calories all of a sudden or doing anything that feels uncomfortable. Um, what I like, what I'm a big proponent of, is little tweaks. Little tweaks early on that are easy and manageable. And then once you, it's it's kind of like if you're familiar with Dave, Dave Ramsey's snowball effect, where he has you pay off your smallest debts first and then pay off your next smallest debt, and then your next smallest debt. I like that kind of idea as far as people who do, um, who are wanting to lose fat or cut or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I like that idea of starting with the smallest, most manageable tweak that you can make in your diet and lifestyle that'll help you on on the road to fat loss. Um, one girl that I'm working with right now, uh, her very first tweak was just cutting out all soda, all sugary soda. And that's an easy, manageable thing for her to do at this point. But I wasn't about to say, cut out soda, cut out bread, cut out pasta, cut out desserts, cut out candy. No, she's just going to take care of that one thing. And then once she feels comfortable managing that and mastering that, then she can move on to the next thing. And as you as you conquer these little things, you gain confidence and you gain what I call positive up- upward momentum. And the more momentum you have, the easier and easier it gets to take on these little these little tweaks. And uh, so I've decided I'm going to start early with easy, manageable things so that I don't have to all of a sudden drop my calories by, you know, 600 a day in order to, you know, cut for this for this competition. Right. And now let me let me be insistent then, because by the mm-hmm. end of your 16 week period or whatever it may be, your diet phase, you will have slowly built each one of these behaviors and you, you're going to be in a fairly extreme state of being. Are you not? That's true. And I, I do plan to, during the last four weeks, I do plan to take it a step further, you know, and go a little bit more with it, a little bit harder with it. I'll probably um, do a little more cardio, uh, swap out, you know, starchy carbs for more fibrous carbs, that sort of thing. Which is necessary, right? I mean, let's be fair. That's necessary if you're going to get on stage. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to look good. <laughs> yeah. So, um, now your question was how afterwards how do I how do I get out of that again? Yeah, do you reverse the process then and just reintroduce things yeah. back the way they came out? Slowly though, as as slowly as I took them away, I'm going to try and incrementally, very very slowly add them back in one at a time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's why I try to use the example of I was so desperate because I was so depleted. I, I ate some blizzards, you know what I mean? But that's not that's not the way that I would work with most clients, I guess is what I'm trying to get at, right? I think one of the most important thing is when, if you are listening and you want to do a physique competition of some form, and I bet Rob can support this too, but work with your coach a good month or more after the event, you know what I mean? Come mm-hmm. back to normalcy on some level because you will, will have gone through this stepwise uh process that you can't just stop in a lot of ways. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? And I th- almost think you need to build back. I like the idea about slow because you can handle that, right? If you mm-hmm. slowly add body fat over the next two months, uh, it's going to be less noticeable and there's going to be less of that sort of shock wave, you know. Um, you see a lot of, uh, again, maybe this is the male thing, but I've seen bodybuilders within a couple of weeks after a show, you know what I mean, Rob, they'll put 30 pounds on. Uh, a lot of it's well, water. I've, I've, water, I've been there. But, yeah. I put on better part of better part of forty pounds in less than four days after my last bodybuilding competition. Yeah, and of course, a lot of that's water, and I think that's where you get a lot of the heart stress and that yeah. sort of stuff. But at the same time, you know what I mean. If you want to be able to have a healthy uh, body image and come back to normalcy, I'm a huge proponent of taking a, a reverse diet sort of thing, especially mm-hmm. these target date diets, and build back. Uh, toward yeah. that. So I, I like Danny's comment about do it slow because I think that's the key to mental peace of mind. You know, and if all of a sudden you've got a big gut, uh, you know, just a matter of weeks after or, you know, or cottage cheese all over your thighs sort of thing, that's not going to fly with a lot of cotta- a, a lot of um, competitors. You know, it's just that's not going to work. And you end up doing more psychological damage than had you not done the process at all, I'm afraid. You know. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, thanks yeah. for joining us. We are we're pushing it uh, over already. So, um, oh. okay. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been really great. Uh, well, we have a, a lot of uh, women competitors, and we babbled on so much. I think we'll we'll try to get you on again too, because what I would like to do is talk a little bit more about that refeed, because what doesn't get addressed right in the magazine? So much of it's about how to get ripped, how to get shredded, and nobody talks about how to wrap your head around getting back to being strong and putting on some muscle and, and coming out of the diet phase. Would you be up for that? Oh, I would love it. And you know what? I would probably learn so much from that because I told you that that was my plan right now, but you never know. I mean, in the moment I could be just so hungry for peanut butter and ice cream that I could, I could do exactly what you did. So <laughs> I would love to be back on to talk about that. Okay. Oh, that sounds good. And like I said, I know we rambled on quite a bit, but um, we have a lot of female listeners. And you know what? We need to think about uh, that side of physique competitions. And we have a lot of strong, like powerlifter and strongman type, uh, strongwoman type uh, listeners as well. And I don't want to avoid those either. But for me personally, it's fun to talk about the physique stuff. And of course, Rob has a, you know, his origins are in bodybuilding too. So it's yeah. it's just fun to get into yeah. that. Absolutely. Cool. Yes, thank you very much for being on. Well, thank you so much, Rob. Okay, well, uh, till next time, um, stay strong, stay healthy, and eat a pizza. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs>Hey, sports nutrition fans, join us in beautiful Clearwater Beach, Florida, June 20 and 21 for the 11th Annual ISSN Conference and Expo. You'll learn the latest, greatest sports nutrition from the best minds in the business. Some of our speakers include Juan Carlos Santana, Dr. Mark Tarnopolsky, Gina Lombardi, and many, many more. You'll learn about intermittent fasting, how to exercise to offset poor eating, and also nutritional strategies for maintaining or gaining muscle mass. But the best part is you'll get to rub elbows with the best scientists in the business. The ISSN, why would you go anywhere else? Go to www.theissn.org for more information. That's www.theissn.org for more info. See you there.
Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need. 